with the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to our Y Whale community members and our audiences around the world. My name's Abe, and I'm the head of ecosystem at Y Whales, and we're a community of senior executives who are either building, investing, or learning about the latest technology shaping the way we do business and live. Today, I'm excited to have a discussion with Josh Otten, who is spearheading the disruption when it comes to media content and platforms. Now, Josh has deep experience in TV and film, and it's also very expansive. So talent management, launching pilots on NBC, Fox, I think some people might know Joe Millionaire or Married by America. Um, you've also led a lot of work on the financing side, raising double-digit millions for film production. You've done distribution. You've done acquisition strategies. You oversaw user experiences. You've done advertising. Josh, all of these dots in your past seem have seem to have connected and led you to be an effective leader for where you are today, which is delivering high-quality, original content, and programs to audiences around the world through what your company is called Ronin Content Media. With that, Josh, I'd like to say it's a pleasure to have you on this conversation. How accurate was I with your background? And uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it was pretty accurate. I mean, um, you know, I've, I've spent about 20 plus years, <clears throat> excuse me, I spent about 20 plus years in, in media. Um, and within that sort of, uh, uh, you know, those two decades, um, touched on technology, touched on brand, touched on content, touched on creators. So, yeah. um, you know, it's really, you know, I got to watch media grow, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, let me get a quick drink of water here. Mm. I've got to watch uh, media grow from what was really traditionally a network model. Um, and, and this thing called cable started to, to make waves and, um, and that, and now where we are today, which is, you know, we don't need to go decade by decade, but it's certainly transformative yeah, yeah. and different. So, uh, I've always sort of looked at what was ahead and, and sort of looked at what was going to, you know, lead and drive content creators, brands, um, distribution, monetization, all those things. And, and that's kind of, you know, yes, all those things have helped me, uh, to a culmination today of, of Rona Media Networks and what we're looking to do. I'm, I'm curious, was there a moment in time um, or someone that sort of shaped this direction and sort of shared, you know, some insights as far as like, you know, pay attention to the media space or what what gravitated towards you um, to that space? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I first, my first job was at the UTA mailroom back in the day and, and, you know, making okay. like, I think $425 a week when, when that was, uh, right. that was an acceptable salary. And, um, you know, I basically was fascinated with, you know, everyone was focused on television or not folks, but, you know, t talent mm. and, and, uh, and, and movies. And so I was focused on tel on television because it was, it was, a, okay. it was a business, you know, um, it was right. very sort of structured. There was pilot season. You picked up this thing, you made this many episodes. It was very, it was a very sort of structured, it, it, whereas entertainment and especially the movie business can feel almost chaotic. Uh, and right, so right. I, I was, I was drawn to that. And then, um, early on, I just noticed immediate disruption 
uh, on an annual basis when things started to evolve and change. So first it was cable and then cable came right. in and then as cable started growing and then you, and then we saw the emergence of social media and then we saw mm-hmm. the emergence of technology. So there wasn't any one sort of like aha moment, although in the, I'll get in a little bit in, the, in, you know, later on, I'll tell you, there was a couple of aha moments for us, but, okay. and for me personally, but it was just this understanding that there's a consistent evolution and, uh, the best way to, uh, understand and 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 not only participate in but hopefully shape that is you have to be uh you have to really be looking ahead um and and i i to be candid i noticed most people in media that wasn't how they they looked at things they were in their insular bubble and they were they were more focused on protecting business as usual or making sure that business did not change or evolve too quickly uh, and disrupt their own little ecosystem so my question here is you know, through the evolution, looking at it today, what's what's broken within that space? Well, I think that what you could see what's broken, and and then and as a positive and as a negative, right? So I think number one, uh, content consolidation or media consolidation, and and sort of this concept that there's now seven companies, publicly traded companies that own ninety five percent of all media. For me, that's broken, totally. right? That that doesn't that yeah. doesn't work very well. Um, and it's it's either extreme. This idea that on the one extreme. You know, uh, you have Elon Musk, who is the sole arbiter in his ecosystem of what constitutes free speech or whatever. And not, it doesn't right. matter what your pol- political view or even him as a person. I, I think having one individual completely in charge of it is is probably not great for discourse and community. Um, and on the right. flip side to that, you know, you have these monolithic uh, publicly traded companies that are just rolling up all these different entities and firing people and, and letting people go and. Um, you know, so the, you know, we're in the middle of a writer's strike right now that has no resolution in sight. And it's tough when you have one executive, you know, a time Warner who makes, you know, basically almost one third in a year, he makes, you know, one third of what the entire writers are acting, asking as a community, you know, 10,000 people who are saying, Hey, we're asking for an extra $600 million. And you have one person who's making 250 million. So I think there's a lot that's broken. And I think it's, um, I think it's, it's just, it's just, it's just, you know, it's an it's a, it's a example of capitalism on Wall Street. It is what it is, right? You can't really fight that. Consolidation of power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is, you know, and, and you kind of have really interesting, cool, you know, sort of meta shows like Succession that comment on these things and the irony that they're in the middle of an ecosystem like HBO, Time Warner, Discovery, right. which is now just called Max or whatever. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, right. it's interesting. So I look at that and I say, wow, that's that's broken, right? Is it broken? Yeah. It's it, 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 is it broken if you're the executive or the the investors? I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say that either. Uh, it, it depends on what f- lens you're looking at determining. But as a content creator, as someone who works with content creators, someone who looks for distribution, those systems become in, impenetrable. They're not there to facilitate yeah, distribution. Totally. On the flip side, you have YouTube. You have <laughs> social media. I can sit there and load up a video whenever I want. And sort of, uh, you know, try and gather my own audience and, and sort of, you know, so you have this democratization of content and distribution as well. Um, but in the premium marketplace, uh, premium content creators and that sort of stuff, it's definitely challenging. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that aren't working. Um, you know, living wages even for writers right now is a challenging thing. That's why you're seeing the strike. So, um, I look at it like, okay, so knowing all these challenges, where's the room to maneuver? What can we do? Um, and so our position has been, if we could be at the center of brands, audiences, and content creators, th- that, that ecosystem and that connectivity 
that is um, that is what television is. Television's always been ad supported, right? I mean, like it was, you know, HBO was premium right. subscription, and then Netflix, everything else. But for the most part, it's always been an ad supported um, vehicle. So correct. I've always looked sure. at it like if you can figure out ways to connect the brands and the consumers and the creators. Uh, and do so in a way that works for all three parties. That's the sort of secret sauce that I'm looking for. And, <clears throat> and, it, and it sounds like it merges exactly with what Ronin content services, you know, builds himself as. So I, I think I pulled from the website is you guys are looking to help s- tell stories to for intended audiences while maintaining the level of authenticity and creativity. Full stop. Yeah. That's really what you're looking to deliver to everyone around the world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, so, so there are great storytellers or great content creators and they are looking for distribution. They're looking for eyeballs. And, uh, so if you go to a Netflix or something like that, you know, again, we talked about it. It's this impenetrable, you know, it's this, it's this, it's this ecosystem and network that's tough to pierce and, and get distribution through on the flip side, right. YouTube, yeah, anyone can upload content there, but YouTube is geared towards the creator economy. And the creator economy isn't the premium content creator economy. The creator economy is, right. uh, you know, you might have a guy who's going to like order a pizza and throw like a pizza and an eggplant and make a smoothie out of it and drink in front of people. That guy might get 5 million views and you might right. have, you know, some amazing, you know, short film with a bunch of really cool people on it that might only get 50,000. And, and also it's tough to monetize that content through there. So yeah. there's, there's this massive gap between netflix and youtube and and the gap isn't because the quality isn't there on the content it's the gap is because there's no distribution and reach and ways to monetize that content for the creators um i assume you also throw in tiktok as well in this youtube category also i well i don't so for a couple things yeah the reason i don't is um again tiktok is great for the creator economy so i so 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 what i look at is like you have creators on the one hand and a creator Mm -hmm. to define a creator is someone that uh essentially is just making content with their own assets with their own resources could be a phone and you have extreme levels of that you have mr beast which could be a billion dollar economy and you have you know whatever you have somebody on tiktok who's making uh you know political shows um i think that those creators are needed i think that the distribution of the content is amazing. I think each of those platforms serves different creators and different audiences. I okay. think I think the idea that we're going to ban TikTok when Facebook's been doing everything TikTok's been doing times ten is is ludicrous mm. to me. The concept that mm. that Facebook and Meta is now you know has a seven hundred fifty million dollar uh, judgment against it, where people they've actively you know stolen data and turned around and sold it and allowed places like Cambridge Analytica to do these things, pretending they didn't know and knew it was happening. All, all these things are, you know, ju- just as bad or, or as egregious. Right. Yeah. So anyways, again, those things aside, I think that content's great. I actually love TikTok as a platform. I think it's fun. They do a great I job. Do. Yeah. They do a great job of sort of giving you the content that you care about and looking at it. And totally. you get content you will never see on meta. You're not going to find behind the scenes, deep political conversations on Instagram. It's just not happening. You know, it may, you know, maybe Joe yeah. Rogan or some comedians and podcasts, but for the most part, it, that's not what that platform is built for. So short form yeah. content, great. Um, but long form content, storytelling, narrative storytelling, um, you know, documentaries, um, long form news sure. things, you know, I think, I think vice was hoping to fill that gap. And I think there was a moment in time where vice could have been, that company, the, the fact that they're in the middle of bankruptcy right now, um, yeah. you know, and I have thoughts on that, but you know, I think the idea is that it's, you know, and, and, and news is no longer profitable. Buzzfeed, 
Vice, all these places. Um, is, is it because news isn't profitable? Is it because of how they are producing the news that isn't profitable? Is it because how they're distributing the news? You know, there's so many layers to this. There's not one boom, this is the reason, but it's, it's dynamic in terms of dissecting what worked, what didn't work and why. What, what do you, you said you had thoughts on it and, you know, maybe this is a great time to elaborate since we're just talking about it now, but where do you think their, their big misses were? Oh man, so many, I think, I think timing vice vice was a victim of its own success and timing. I think that, you know, when they sort of peaked with the amount of money they were raising and how quickly they were scaling, not, not everything's infinitely scalable, you know, uh, not everything's going to make a trillion dollars. And so, uh, when you raise a bunch of money and you're beholden to people who are demanding continuous growth, um, or, or an exit, give them an exit or, or keep growing. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough sort of thing to do, which is why tech companies traditionally do better on multiples and media because the thought is it scales better. Right. So, so I think, I think the amount of money they raised, how quickly they raised it. And then I think their timing, what I, what I mean by timing is if they were, if they started three years ago and they were coming to age now, they could have launched a streaming network overnight for several million dollars and had massive reach and penetration and distribution in every TV in, in, in America or globally. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they sort of launched their television strategy, I don't know if it was five years ago now or six years ago, however, it was a while ago uh, when the sort of streaming technology wasn't commoditized and it wasn't cheap and easy, meant they spent tens of millions of dollars on infrastructure and they went after sort of an old school strategy, which was let's get distribution yeah. in the home on the actual TV through direct TV or, 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 or Comcast or spectrum where you would get what's called the household fee, basically a carriage fee. So ESPN Fox, whether you watch it or not, you look at your bill, you're actively paying for that. That model is, is, is effectively dead, right? It's no longer, if, it, if it's not, may not be dead for those that are grandfathered in, but it's not a viable strategy going forward. And so the problem was all of a sudden overnight, they're selling their advertising product to their advertisers saying, Hey, we have vice TV now, but they're only getting 40 or 50,000 views. Not great. Mm, um, not no. great. But if you were getting 50,000 views for eight hours a day in a streaming network, that's, you know, I don't have my calculator. That's, that's hundreds and hundreds of millions of impressions. And that that's strong. Uh, if you were getting yeah. 50,000 views an episode on YouTube, that wouldn't really make you couldn't pay your rent for that. So all these things, you know, context matters, media matters, how you distribute. So again, there's a lot of nuances to it. I think vice right. as a brand is still going to be around. I think bankruptcy is going to restructure it. I think they just have to get a lot of sure. debt and do things differently. Um, I think media has to be thought of differently. I think there are some really cool technologies, things that we're exploring that can uh, be very scalable and, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, again, I think, I think they were a victim of, of, of capital, uh, expectations and timing. So let's, let's talk about new technologies, um, because Ronin TV has something that's called Alter TV. Um, and I have used product. Uh, I love it. It's very smooth. It's user-friendly. It's great content that's on there. Thanks. Um, just spitting out some numbers. You're, I believe you're in 60 million homes. Um, there's about 2,500 hours of content on there. Um, and you're, you're essentially allowing a platform um, to talk about alternative subject matters, alternative medicine, documentaries, wellness seekers, Tell, tell us some more about this. Yeah, I, you know, I would like to say that, you know, because we're on Vice, it's a little Vice TV meets History Channel. Um, okay. You know, we're we're focused on sort of, um, 
you know, uh, alternative transformative medicine. We just did a document. We did an original film and docuseries that premiered at South by Southwest with Deepak Chopra called Open Minds. That's on the platform right now. That did really, mm-hmm. really well. It's a great doc. Um, we've done we've done a lot of different things in in, in spaces around um, healing and 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 uh, meditation sure. and mm-hmm. wellness. Um, we also do really fun unexplained mysteries and and uh, you know maybe you know conspiracy theories stuff like that. So. We're looking at it like Alter TV is your sort of home for, um, you know, content and conversations that you're not going to get in the mainstream. Um, we do a blend of it's not just news either. Right. We do. You know, we do take a news coverage to it, but we really want to connect yeah. with creators who are passionate about this. So our, our, our sort of spin is more if there's a content creator who's passionate about transformative or plant medicine, let them tell that story and let us help distribute that. If there's a if there's a creator who's passionate about those things. Do you think there's been a change in the audience demand for content like this? I mean, 20 years ago, would you think that you would have as many people as interested in this subject matter as you do today? I feel like these subject matters have grown in, in interest over the last few years. So I wonder if there's a change in the audience. Absolutely. I think, I think that you could look at it multiple ways, right? So there's a lot of media distrust for a, a great reason. We just talked about some of the issues of consolidation, fake news, sure. these sort of things. So right. again, we what I look at it is... What were Vice News again looking at what they did that was really good that I think everyone gravitated was they they did they explored these subject matters with a viewpoint and a lens and an audience telling mechanism, you know, working with younger reporters that wasn't how right. everyone else covered it. Fair and unbiased mm. doesn't exist. Fair and right. unbiased is not a mm. thing. So what we look to do is we look to say, hey, let's go direct to the creator. I want to go directly to someone that's passionate about it. Let them tell their story. Let that let us be a place for them to tell those stories and get direct syndication and be surrounded by other like-minded content. Whereas if you see this on YouTube, there's 50 other videos that Google is force feeding right. you based on algorithms and previous search records and everything else. So so mm-hmm. you know we, we also filter. This isn't UGC. Not anyone could just upload a video. So yes, I think there's always been an audience for this, per, you know, it, on a, on the one hand, um, but I think that there hasn't been a destination for these people mm-hmm. to really go and and um, you know that that's one of the things. And and so for our focus, we, we like niches. We want it. We want to sort of we want to be creator focused and and or or content creator focused, storyteller focused, um, you know, somewhat niche focused, and then and then start to scale from there. How do you find these content creators? How do you um, get in touch with them? How do they? How do you bring them into your platform, and how do you support them? Yeah, so uh, we have a chief content officer, uh, Shelly Madison, who's our co-founder. So she helps um, okay. sort of you know source a lot of the content for uh, somewhat for altered, and also she's really focused on Veeam uh, TV, which we'll get to. Okay. But um, yeah, we ha- we we go we reach out to creators. They reach out to us. We have relationships with film libraries. Uh, we have okay. we, you know so we kind of have different uh, feeder systems that bring the content to us. Uh, we produce a lot of original content. We produced over 400 hours over the last three years of original content as well. Wow. Uh, we even amazing. we even partner with other networks. So we we partnered with Reverie TV uh, as a, as a co production partner for one of their first uh, ever um, uh, Pride based films that they did, and they did some docu series and stuff that we've been partners on with them. Um, Banshee Ball, things like that. So we um, you know we're we're both licensing and producing and co producing content. How are you expanding your reach to find more audience members? That's a great question. So our strategy going forward, um, so, so, well, part of that demand has been to sort of foster this relationship with, with where we started Veeam. 
So Veeam TV okay. was, was sort of born out of this need to say, okay, we, 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 we built the technology, we built the distribution, we have the content. Now, how do we get audience? Because at the end of the mm-hmm, day, sure. if you're at home watching television, you have a choice to watch something, even if you have altered, you know, installed there, we're still next to Netflix. Mm-hmm. We're still next to HBO. I yeah. still need to get you to come totally. in and watch something that we have for 45 minutes to an hour and compete against multi-billion dollar organizations. So right. number one is how do we, how do we attract audiences over there? So part of that strategy uh, started to you know, realize that attracting people in if you don't have strong retention and you don't have continuous content yeah. uploads and you don't have a feedback loop that lets you know what the audience likes and doesn't sure. like and all these things, mm-hmm. it's, it's a war of attrition. Uh, you know, your, your network can be a sieve. And so that's where we, again, started to really look at different strategies around technology. How can we use technology to increase retention, to create a stronger feedback mm. loop between audiences and what we're doing? Uh, and then also content acquisition. How can we acquire or partner with content creators who are maybe creating content more consistently? So it's not just a really cool documentary that we have to go out there and get more of. Uh, and then final, mm. finally, sort of how do we how do we sort of incentivize both creators, brands, and audiences to, to spend more time with each other using our platform? Interesting. Okay. So that's, a, that's, a, you're almost building a network of the content creators on the back end as well. Yeah. So, so what ended up happening was I'll kind of flash forward. So we've been, you know, we said, okay, we got the distribution. We got, we know the monetization. We're connected with all the SSPs, which is how we deliver the ads. All those things are working. Right. The numbers, the math, maths, um, so, so now what, so now do we start spending money on driving audiences and then hoping they, they stick around. And what we did was, you know, I became pretty fascinated. This was a couple of years ago now with web three and our first introduction to it was we were approached by some people building NFTs that say, Hey, um, can we market our NFT program or, you know, our NFT launch on your television network? I said, mm-hmm. sure. You know, but I need to know, learn more about who your audience is. And what I found out was I found a, a, a highly dedicated, um, dedicated is the wrong word. I mean, it's like obsessed uh, ecosystem okay. of people sure. where in, okay. in the NFT community, right? Uh, where they were spending hours on Discord and Twitter and good morning, friend, and all this sort of stuff. And this is in the heyday of sort of this, this burgeoning technology and, and, you know, coming out of the pandemic and everything else. And so I was like, man, this is if we could get this audience to watch our content, I mean, are you kidding me? They're sharing, they're talking about it, you know? And, and so I was like, we have to find some content that's been backed by this, this community or create content to reach that community. And, uh, we spent some time and it took us about three to four months. We found a series called red ape family that was produced, I believe, believe out of either, um, I don't know if it's Saudi Arabia or Dubai, but somewhere in the middle East, and they had raised money by selling NFTs to produce this, this cartoon this, uh, based on Board API Club. And so nice. uh, we negotiated with the team back and forth for a while. And finally, we said, look, let us distribute this because, you know, they, they, you know there's a pretty big gap between media, traditional media, monetiz- content monetization and Web3. And what I mean by right. the traditional media people... Web3 came and blew up so quickly, they didn't even have time to pivot or look at it. They, they're, they're, they, right. they played around with it, but even when they dabbled in it, they did it in sort of the more old school methodology, which is why I don't think it gained traction. And on the flip side, I think the Web3 community was so in their own bubble in terms of you know what worked for Web3 that they weren't really looking at how the rest of the world would operate per se and, and sort of combine those things. And so what I mean to say is that, you know, some of these cartoons and some of these things that were being built 
with investment from Web3 and NFT, which is amazing to see, you know, sort of this, you know, Indiegogo, GoFundMe campaign meets content, right. meets open marketplace, meets, right. you know, shares and everything else. It's like, you know, that's a, it's a dream. I think the technology is amazing. Totally. Uh, you have democratized content distribution and funding and, and all these things. What ended up happening was all the things that these little media ecosystems that launched within Web3 became solely incentivized to basically use it as a tool to sell their own token. So yeah. that's just not going to mm-hmm. work. And so all yeah. of these sort of places were like, we're democratizing content distribution and we're syndicating this and da, da, da. But really when you sort of peel back the layer, it's like, we're really here to sell this token to you. And if you, the more you watch, the more this token, but none of the economics were tied to any real world economics. It wasn't like there was no right. real money other than the printing or distribution of this token and holding onto it and all these things. So I quickly saw like, man, that's just not going to last. I mean, that was my gut. It just, you know, there's the audience is there and the excitement, but the economics just math doesn't math. But if we can plug our ecosystem, which we are getting paid by advertisers and we are, we have distribution and it's real world money. It's a $32 billion a year marketplace and connector television and plug that in with this diet hard audience that that could work. So we did some tests and what we found was, if you had NFT based content and you brought that audience over and you gave them a place to watch it and you supported it with ad revenue and you shared that ad revenue with the NFT holders, your average revenue per user would go from on the low end, one, two or $3. That's us, Mm -hmm. right? That's in the the independent streaming world. Then you can go to the next layer, like your NBC, you know, your peacocks and your paramount pluses. And now you're looking at, you know, uh, maybe, nine ten dollar cpa or okay. average revenue per month uh and then okay. you go up wow. to, and then you go up to netflix and you're eleven dollars well when you when you go to the nft community and you explain to them we're we're sharing in this revenue with you the nft owner we're getting 60 70 80 90 100 average revenue per users because they were watching so much of it so no kidding yeah it was it was fascinating the the challenge was uh, it wasn't scalable because number one, um, you know, this, the content might be eight minutes or 10 minutes. It's heavy lift to produce that content. Number two, you had these little micro communities of 300 people who own this NFT or 500 people that own this NFT. So, right. you know, and, right. and, and so that's where we came up with our watch and earning thing was like, well, you know, we, we did these tests. We didn't produce the content or sell NFTs ourselves. We just distributed it, but we did educate the right. NFT holders on how they can share in the revenue. So we were like, Hey, you know, if we gave them another thing to watch after they watched the piece of content that they owned a piece of, and also let them okay. participate in that, then they would st- keep watching. In fact, they'd probably keep the TV on, you know, all day and watch it and tell their friends to watch it and, and do audience, you know, content discovery around that. And then if we did one step further and there's we your loop, there's our loop, there's our feedback loop. And then if we did one step further mm-hmm. and we connected them via a, an app, on the phone and through that app, okay. they could um, pre-order things or watch things or answer questions and get rewarded more and more for those actions. The feedback loop is even deepened. So uh, that became sort of the thesis for our watch and earn. Uh, and then the idea was, as we started talking to Web3 communities, are like, well, you know, what about my token? And what about, I said, app, any token could be a, whatever. They're all here. Well, let's plug them all in. You, you know, it's yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that, the content's being monetized, so the creators are getting paid. The brands have multiple ways to connect to their audiences through TV ads and through the phone, so they're happy. And the user is participating in this ecosystem for the first time ever, where they're not on YouTube or anywhere else, and they're getting a you know essentially a reward out of this. 
a, a tangible reward. Now you, right. Solana or Polly or Matic or whatever, it's your job to convince our audience that your product should be something they should redeem for. We just want to be, right. we, we'll facilitate that introduction, but that's where you sure. have to go. And it's your job to market to them and tell them why your product's better. Um, we can help you do that. And and part of that was if you saw, you know, Coinbase has their learn and earn platform. I don't know if it's still active, sure. yeah. but the idea is it's basically a performance marketing layer that allows cryptocurrencies to um, give away their product in exchange right. for right. people to educate themselves. So, but, but we never wanted to be tied to one ecosystem or one platform because it's massively limiting in, in who we can reach. And in fact, the way I pitched it to a lot of our potential partners as if you go our way, it's going to be way better for you in the long run because we're going to incentivize people on other chains and platforms. And we're going to be incentivizing people who don't want anything to do with crypto because they think in their mind they have to spend money to get involved. But if I can tell them that they're going to get this crypto and this coin or whatever you're giving away or NFT in exchange for just watching content they already like and love and watching content from their favorite creators and everything else, it's a much different pitch or sell, right? Um, so... Yeah, go ahead. No, so so that so that was the thesis, and then we started to build around that, and uh, and and kind of that's where we're you know, um, and and we could talk about being TV, but that's kind of what we spent most of last year doing was exploring that and starting to get ready to build that. Yeah, look, I, I think you talked about a really reasonable model that works here, and I, I think you're you're spot on saying that if there's truly just a financial incentive, it's these things are going to die. And you know, I, I had a conversation recently with uh, with another founder, and we talked about how the gamification of engagement is is always a better way to go rather than the the, the promise of rewards at in some later date. Um, I'm curious to understand what the user experience is to onboard people into the NFT ecosystem is. A lot of education takes place with with a space, with our space, because there's a lot of people who don't, don't really understand. They don't have wallets. So how, how have you been able to make that onboarding experience um, just as simple as possible? Yeah, so we haven't launched it yet. But again, think of it like our, our onboarding experience is going to be no different than downloading Clash of Clans. And when you mm -hmm. download Clash of Clans, yeah. you don't need a wallet, right? You don't need anything. You just yeah. you get your coins and your Beautiful. gems and all your things. They're all loaded up there. Or if you if you play a game on Steam and you have your achievements and your rewards, right. uh, so there's no additional user steps. And in fact, we're never going to ask for a credit card. We're never going to ask directly for a wallet. All we're going to say is, hey, participate in our ecosystem by watching content, connecting mm -hmm. with brands answering quizzes, doing all these things. And on your dashboard, you're going to see every day you earn more points. And those points are going to be redeemed for things. Now, in the redemption process, that's when we'll introduce the concept of an NFT, or we can introduce the concept of what is Solana or what is a Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Because there's a right. at this point, the, the user has already generated a significant cash value because right. on our back end, they've made, you know, again, what do we talk about average revenue per user? Well, if we could take someone from three to four dollars and take them to 20 and, and, and I take of that 20 a month and I'm giving them back five, I'm still right. netting 15. It's benefiting the creator more totally. who I share in the revenue and it's benefiting us more. And then the, and then the person who's participated in this ecosystem has now got five dollars worth of something themselves. What that thing yeah, is, totally. what what do they want to spend that $5 worth or something? That's up to the consumer. Our job is to sure. give them a thriving marketplace 
of all kinds of choices. And it could be everything right. from a autograph Kevin, Kevin Garnett bobblehead, one of one, yeah. uh, all the yeah. way, all the way up into an Amex gift card or, uh, $5 with a Solana. But the idea is sure. once they start participating in that ecosystem, we're also going to give them more and more and more things to do besides just passively watch content, answer quizzes, talk to friends, sure, right. rate content. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, we're creating this feedback loop and this incentivization layer. Beautiful. I love it. Um, before we jump on to uh, Beam TV, question for you. Um, AI is growing incredibly fast in every form uh, you can imagine. Are you guys thinking about AI and how so within within the user experience or the creation or any other method that I have not uh, considered? Yeah, AI is going to do to media and to brand advertising what Netflix did to Blockbuster. Um, And it's Mm. going to radically transform it. On the back end, between Blockbuster and Netflix, you still had content that didn't didn't radically change. You still had movies and television shows. But in terms of of how consumers discovered, purchased, monetized, watched, all that stuff. So if you look at AI, um, what I believe we're going to see in the next 36 plus months is a couple of things. On the user side, um, things like search engine result pages where Google is essentially I'm, I'm Googling or I'm searching for information or something that I want. Um, right now, Google has two ways to sort of deliver that to you. They basically say, here's all these websites that have paid us money. So we're going to show them right. to you first. Doesn't matter whether it, yep. it actually is good or not. <laughs> they paid us. So we're yeah. giving this to you. And then here's our little search engine result page ranking of websites that have followed the rules of SEO and algorithmic blah, blah, blahs. And, they, and this is it. Now, do I want to have to start digging through these websites to get the recipe I want <clears throat> or to, yeah. uh, you know, like think about even just, you know, something as, as what should be as simple as getting a flight to Boston. Sure. I want, I want to leave. Well, even Google has that thing in there, but then there's this and that. And then, and then finally you go to click and then they drop you off at United, but you know, spirit's not included because they have their own thing. And, and you know, it's, it's still like, you know, you're like, man, I, I still need a travel agent for this half of this crap. Whereas, uh, yeah. you know, I've seen, I've seen people now go use, I haven't used it myself, but I've seen people use AI tools and they're literally plan me this. I want to leave it this time. I want to spend this much money. Yeah, I want, and boop, there it is. Now yeah. that's radically transformative. And when you do that, you're never going back to the old way of doing things. So what does that do for content and brands and everything else that we operate in? If you're a brand and you've relied on, you know, because every brand, not almost every brand selling a commodity, whether it's tequila or water or uh, power bars or weightlifting, I mean, you name it, cars, you know, they're all versions of the same thing, right? Your tequila, you know, you and I could have a preference and we could, uh, I like tequila, so I could talk about it probably for an hour and we, the difference, the nuances, but for the most part, you know, um, if they're, you know, be, be besides diving into the specifics of the product and the way it tastes and everything else, it's still a commodity, right? It's, it's, an, it's, right. A, it's a liquid from an agave plant. So how are you marketing right. that? And how are you telling that story? It, t- it needs content. It needs, it needs influencers, it needs all these things. Well, a lot of the ways that people have been doing customer acquisition for, for, for years now is through pay-per-click and Google and search and all these other sure. things. I think, I think a lot of that's going to go away completely. Uh, and, yeah. and, and so that, where does that leave them? Well, now you have influencer marketing and social media, you know, and, and that's also becoming challenging, right? Because 
everything's been so politicized by both sides. Right. And, 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 and I don't want to get into a both sides conversation, but the point is, um, you know, the reality is like the people that I see screaming about cancel culture or woke or whatever are the ones who are canceling the most things these days. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's like, and, and, and who wants to advertise on Twitter when it's just a mob scene of people screaming at each other and, and it's really negative and nasty. And so the minute I saw Elon Musk buy Twitter, I was like, this is going to be a disaster. This guy doesn't, I mean, all, yeah. all Twitter is, is a giant advertising machine. That's it. Mm-hmm. it is a place for people to create content, to create impressions that's sold to advertisers. That this idea that it's some bastion of democracy or it's the free market of ideas, none of that matters. It's an ad machine. So stop. If you don't understand advertising, you shouldn't own or run a social media network and stop. And so none of the, you know, it was never a technology problem. It was an advertising problem. It was a retention problem. It was a content creation problem. The tech and the engineers weren't the reason Twitter kind of plateaued, right? Uh, that's the same reason TikTok is exploding because of how it's allowing people to connect in the content. My point, the reason I bring that right. up besides ranting about it is uh, brands now have less choice on search. It's less effective. It's more expensive. They're not big brands are, are staying away from Twitter. You can, you know, you can do your own research, but it's, it's true that we're talking billions of dollars in lost ad revenue because no one wants to see their brand message next to hate speech from anyone. So where are they, where are they going? A great question. Where are they going to go? So, uh, Facebook has seen a pretty big resurgence. Um, uh, Instagram, still that safe space of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, watches and girls in bikinis and cars and whatever sort of, you know, the algorithm you want. Uh, I, I think Facebook in the long term is still going to have challenges, but for now, uh, they're, they're retreating there and they're in television, they're in streaming, they're in CTV because, What's the best way to tell a brand story is by a nice, clean 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 second commercial that you created that tells your story that could reach millions of people with the click of a button. And now with streaming, I can reach you in your home. I can reach you in Marina Del Rey. I can reach you where I want to reach you. You actually have data sets that 10 years ago you didn't have. When you bought a TV ad, you relied on some dude who worked for the TV network and Nielsen to convince you that you were reaching the audience you wanted to reach. Now I can buy a data set the same way that you would advertise in Google and I'm delivering video and it's not skippable, et cetera. So, um, I, what my long winded way of saying, I think that AI as part of this general trend is going to help media in the long term because media is going to have to continue to figure out how to tell brand stories to, and create narratives and to directly reach their audiences. Influencers are only a piece of that. Social media is becoming mm-hmm. a little bit less safe. I think AI with deep fakes and the ability to sort of like, again, Think about how AI is going to commoditize content creation. Um, you're already seeing it with stable diffusion, all this other stuff. It's pretty cool if you played around with it. It's neat. I can sit there and say this and that. And right. I love it for decks and all kinds of other things, right? Um, but yeah. but there's, there, it opens up a whole can of worms. Is it copyrightable? Well, it isn't unless you yourself as an individual transform the content that was created by AI into something else. But now you have places like Italy saying, yeah, but where's where's the data integrity? Did you get data consent? to train your models. Where's that data that you're right. scraping to do? So it, it, it's, it's, it, you know, again, it's way too deep to answer today. What I look at in AI is two opportunities. Number one is I believe it's going to allow places like us where we filter our content, we create unique communities of people that are, are you know, that are, that isn't about screaming at each other. It's not UGC. So we need to control what comes in on the platform, what's seen. We have the ability to connect brands to consumers in multiple layers, right? Not just streaming ads, but also, you know, down the road through mobile right. apps, et cetera. 
we're going to be a really nice, safe space for brands. And brands can tell their own stories in our networks. We're now working with brands directly, like our Deepak Chopra was branded content, believe it or not. It's a six-part yeah, branded sure. content with a brand out of out of Canada that's a publicly traded company, and it premiered at South by Southwest, and it's got a lot of traction, and it was really popular for them, and it's a great piece of content for, for our audience. So um, I think that's going to be interesting. And then I think generative content is going to be interesting. It's going to be weird to see how it works, but... The ability for us to have take some of our content overnight, make it available in Portuguese and Spanish and other things and make it sound yeah, the totally. same. I think that's going to be really cool as well. Right. You mentioned a lot about um, the use and the, the richness of data that's available. Now, Web3's, one of Web3's principles is, is that you own your own data and you give it out to whoever you want. But there's also a, a, an incentive um, when you do lend that out. Let's say five years, seven years, ten years from now, that actually takes off. How do you think advertisers are going to have to adjust or adapt to the fact that information that is as rich as it is today is not going to be as easily accessible in in the longer term? Yeah, I think that for I think again we we agree with that philosophy. I think that um, so so what we do on data ownership, for instance, is. Um, we hold some of the basic data on the back end. We just don't sell it to okay. brands. So what do I mean by that? I mean to sit there and say, we will so you own it. Essentially. Well, we don't own it. We don't own it either. What we do is we say, brand, I guarantee you that the person who's, if you want someone in Marina Del Rey, who's probably mm-hmm. this old, who lives in this area, who's watching on a Samsung mm-hmm. TV device, who's watching this type of content, that if you, all these checkboxes, right? Sure. I can guarantee you, I will deliver that content to the person. I'm not going to tell you who that person is. I'm not going to give you that data that you're delivering the ad against. And you've got a shield. I shield it. But 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 we've le- we've got our, our ad distribution engine legally will not deliver an ad unless it meets the requirements of the advertiser set. So it's like, hey, we found this person. You deliver the ad. Now that person sees it, and that's the, that's the that's the initial layer we present. We all this data that we just served against, you don't get access to. Unlike, you know, now, go ahead. Now, did that user voluntarily give you that information? And is there an incentive for them to give that to you, or are you just using it because you are aware of it? The minute that you use Roku, Apple TV, Samsung, VC, TCL, Vizio, oh, they, they, well, they just know everything. But you, 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 you have to. You know what they're going to do is they're going to, if you want to use their service, especially their free service. They get to at least know what device you're using, your where you're watching right, it. Sure. Also, there's some basics. So, so yeah. yes, um, is the users accepting those terms of service before way before they even touch our ecosystem? That's just part of yeah signing up for a lot of these things. That being said, right. um, you know what we want to do is we want to go a step further and say, hey, we're here to to deepen that connection. So, brand X, um, Abe is willing to connect with you and share certain information. If you do a couple things, you promise not to resell it. You promise to reward him or incentivize to do this thing. And, and you sort of treat it with data integrity. And we want to facilitate that. Cause if I come back to me and say, Hey, uh, by the way, uh, we're going to give you a $5 Amex card. If you give this person your email address and 10 other things, it's up to you. You could check mark yeah, that box yeah. if you want to, or you don't have to. Got it. Let's uh, let's shift over to Veeam TV. Mm. Now, this is a joint venture that you're doing with Kevin Garnett, um, and I understand that this is a totally a platform that's really focused on 
delivering diversity and inclusion related content. So it's it's also focused on culture. It's all focused on education, lifestyle. Your your target reaches eighty five million users. I understand. Can you talk to us a little bit about the the idea and the inspiration behind this and and sort of you know Kevin Garnett's just a legend, right? So yeah. how did that story sort of come come together? Yeah. So uh, so I I know people. So Kevin Kevin uh, has a really thriving media and content business. So he's got a uh, okay. he's got a, a show called Certified that's on uh, Showtime with Paramount Plus. He's got a, a deal with Village Roadshow, a first look deal with Village mm-hmm. Roadshow. Uh, right. and he's got a deal with Tubi that just bought two movies of theirs, uh, cinnamon and murder Inc. Uh, soon right. as premiering in, in Tribeca. So he's got this really strong, thriving media business already. And, and his partners at one point were watching some of our content on Alter TV and they were watching a, a docuseries about, uh, some cannabis farms. And in the middle of it, they saw a Burger King ad and they're like, what? You know, they're, they kind of freaked out. So they call me and said, Hey, how are you getting, <laughs> how are you getting these mainstream advertisers to advertise on this content? That's, you know, that's exploring topics that they thought were not brand friendly. And I was like, well, that, that's our model. That's what we do. Uh, so we just sat mm-hmm. down and it was actually uh, February, a year ago, February, not this February, but the last one, February, uh, 2022. Um, and we sat down and I said, look, you know, I want to understand your existing you're, you're, you know, Kevin and, and Contact Cartel, and he's got a great partner, Mike and Bo, and kind of what you guys are doing. And, and they've produced right. amazing documentaries, you know, Obama documentary, Alan Iverson, Freo Eric Ross, um, Anything is Possible with, you know, Kevin on Showtime, all these great things. And so yeah, yeah. what I realized was they've done an amazing job of, um, you know, producing great content, having distribution, having the media partnerships, but they didn't have their own distribution. And I was like, you're missing this crucial link where uh, you're still reliant on the showtimes. All the, remember we started the conversation sure. with these vertically integrated yeah, right. consolidation. Mm-hmm. You're reliant on them saying yes or no. You're reliant on them owning a piece of your content or even ultimately owning the audience. You know, even if you own a piece yeah. of the IP, you, that's still not your audience. They're the distributors. And right. so the right. idea was, why don't we build a network and an ecosystem that not only benefits and facilitates distribution and monetization of content that you guys are producing, but all your other partners. And, you know, since then, you know, we're also working with Matt Barnes. So Matt's launching something called hybrid TV, uh, in, uh, in, a, in a month or two. Um, and we're, we're going to be ecosystem partners with them. Um, there's, you know, we've, we've had some really great meetings, you know, talking with everyone from Paul Pierce to Rajan Rondo. So there's this big, there's this big nice. energy and, and desire. And I think that today's entrepreneurs, and athletes are entrepreneurs, a hundred percent. I mean, they they are they they are an influencer, and they are an athlete, and they are an entrepreneur, and they are a business in and of themselves. Very savvy and very, very savvy. savvy and sure. so for them, mm-hmm. um, once they, especially once they leave the league, um, and they're looking for what to do, these are men in the men and women in their prime, right? I mean, they're they're you know right. mid thirties. And they're, you know, a lot of times have a lot of success and wealth and, but they're also leaving this very structured ecosystem. And so they're interested in media to storytell. And it's confusing because they come into it and there's a lot of paths you can take. You're like, do, Hey, do I go do a stint on TNT or do I go try and do my sort of, am I a commentary color commentary person? Am I, am I going to position myself as the person that is the, you know, the brains and can dissect why this play happens this way? Or am I the person that's going to make fun of and clown this person and be more, you know, and cause you have all these players, you have your Kenny, right, not to sure. Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley. And then even within those ecosystems, um, there's layers to it, right? You know, there's different, there's mm-hmm. a pecking order. And uh, so we are saying to these great 
players and athletes and, and beyond athletes, by the way, just other content creators. Hey, you guys at the end of the day need places to tell stories, ways to monetize your content, distribute. Let us be a partner with you and show you that we're going to help you make more money, give you more brand freedom, personal freedom, content creation freedom, and, and, and sort of awesome. be partners with you. Josh, that sounds really fantastic. And I know that Veeam TV is going to be a product launching very soon. So why don't you elaborate a little bit more about um, the journey to get here? Um, what companies, what people can expect within the next few months? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're in the middle of sort of uh, reaching out to specific content creators, um, some mm-hmm. library partners. Um, you know, we're, we're in the process of building out the technology, advertisers. There's a lot of pieces that are, you know, moving pieces um, you know, what we're excited about <clears throat> is a lot of our agency partners that are really looking for ways to go back to the brands they work with and say, hey, we've got new ways to tell your story. We have new ways cool. to connect Perfect. you to your consumers. And we want to be a part of that. And we can, you know, again, through the relationships that we have and the skill sets that we have, if you think about content distribution monetization, there's multiple, it's, it's heavy lifting to produce original content. It's heavy lifting to understand right. how to monetize it. It's heavy lifting cool. to figure out how to connect with brands. So all these pieces, it, it definitely takes an entire team. Uh, you know, and to that end, we have, you know, I work with Shelly Madison. She's amazing. She's a great filmmaker, producer, um, you know, understands content acquisition and licensing. Uh, Jason Rood is, is my other co-founder. Uh, Jason's a great partner. He really understands, um, you know, he's our chief revenue officer. So he's worked in media, media sales understands all that you know that that world uh how to communicate he's also very on top of ai which is exciting he's sort of every day sending me tiktoks and things yeah you know let's let's integrate this um and yeah and it's a team and and then the content cartel team these guys are just some of the best uh premier storytellers in the world yeah what where do you see veeam tv and perhaps alter tv um, going probably about a year from now, maybe two years from now. Yeah, I mean, where I see, you know, I, I see us as a, as an entity, Ronin Media Networks. Um, sure. You know, where we have altered, we have Veeam. We're going to have a partnership with Hybrid, uh, and there's there's two or three other verticals that we're exploring right now. Um, where okay. either we directly own and operate, we manage, or we have production and distribution and sort of AOR record relationships with agency of record relationships with. Um, and so we have this nice, you know, sort of company that, that has, that can go out and say, Hey brands, um, we have multiple different, um, audience demographics and psychographics to serve your content to. We have multiple brand storytelling production companies that can produce original content. We have access to athletes and influencers that you can, you know, use to, to communicate on your behalf. And we have these consumers and, and audiences that we have cultivate, cultivated a relationship around transparency and incentivization and sharing in revenue and all the other things. And so I think, I think we're going to be a powerful player and, and, and disruptive. I think ultimately we're going to be disruptive because I believe if, if it's not just building a better mousetrap, it's just building something entirely different. Just like we started the conversation on AI around once you use AI to get certain data, it's almost impossible to go back to the way it was done. Well, once you yeah, go into totally. our ecosystem, we start to really connect you to these creators and incentivize you in a new way. It's going to be very difficult to now go into another environment and say, well, I, how come I'm not getting these things here? Um, and so that, right. that's what we're excited about. That's that's fantastic. And I think one of the questions I have for you is, is regarding Web3 personally and professionally as well. What does Web3 technologies mean to you? 
I think, you know, for me, um, look, I, I love the concept of Web3. I love the, you know, I love the, 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 the idea that all these transactions are stored in the blockchain. I love this idea of the, mm-hmm. the, the true democratization of, and the, and there's the sort of no BS connection between, you know, a, a, it can be a content creator or a, uh, someone that's making an NFT or one and directly to their audience, right? right? There's, you don't need, right. you, there's no gatekeepers. There's no, you know, yeah. so, so that's really exciting. I think, you know, what it means to me is that I think it got caught up in its own hype. And I think mm-hmm. it lost a little bit. It, it lost the sort of the, the where this technology is most valuable and how it can be most used. I think the future of where I think Web3 is going to be absolutely scalable and accelerate and grow is a couple of things. One is in games. It's a no, it's a no brainer. I mean, you already have a multi-billion dollar marketplace i mean i remember the story back in the day of like whether it was eve or 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 world of warcraft where people would be going on ebay to sell some i don't know some axe that they grinded 10 hours to get and then they would sell it and then you would have some intermediary who would meet you in game and you'd hand it to them and then and and Uh i'm like these people are going to these lengths to just sell a digital asset how the hell totally. is Blizzard not creating an overnight marketplace to facilitate these transactions just blew my mind. Yeah. So the ability yeah. to now have an on-chain act that I can value and sell directly without anyone stealing it and then having the game facilitate that, it's a no-brainer. Do you need totally Web3 to Yeah, I, do you need Web3 to do that? I mean, you could do that within a game ecosystem, probably create marketplace not it, but I think what's cool about mm-hmm. Web3 and what's the difference is uh, you know, you, you open up the marketplace activity, you open it up to a different user base. I think the second thing that's yeah. going to be important as it relates to AI is, you know, what I, and I'm not, I'm not saying I call it like I'm coining the phrase, but you know, I may have heard it or not. I don't know, but proof of personhood, proof of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do I know I'm talking to a real person right now? How do you know I'm a yeah. real person? Right. Um, how, right. you know, we're, um, we're, we're exploring some interesting technologies around, um, digital content creation. And so, you know, how are we sure that the things that we're seeing are real? And if you can use a way to connect blockchain into whether it's the media itself or, or sort of diving into it, you know, you can only create one of one of those things. And so if if I sort of attached this to this and the person that has the ability to attach it is some, there's some Mm -hmm. trust there or some sort of proof of something there then, then there's a quick and easy way I could oh, click a button pops up. Yeah. This is a proof of personhood chain or this is, you know, so, so I think there's, I think that blockchain is going to have a, a viable future in that as well, which is authenticity and traceability. Um, I don't, you know, yeah. Anyways, that that's. Outside of, outside of media, I think you're spot on outside of media. What industry do you think will benefit tremendously from from what three technology from from directly from your the perspective that you have learned in in this experience in your own experience what so what what so outside of media and games would you say would would web three i mean look i think i think there's still going to be a really vibrant well this is called a metaverse or a digital universe um i think we're okay. you know i think i think meadow again just like vice was five or ten years too early um, I think, mm. I think, you know, Apple and AR and all these other things, I think as we start to get in, as digital becomes more integrated into our life on a day-to-day basis, these glasses, it don't require clunky things and look goofy and they actually 
have AR built into this thin modular that you can't even tell. And I'm doing that sort of stuff. At that point, blockchain becomes again this sort of um, this 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 proof of or or sort of val- yeah. validation of things, right? Immutable, etc. So so I think yeah. I, I think I think as we enter into a more digital world over time, I think blockchain's power becomes more validated. I think as coins or as crypto, that's just not my thing. It doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. valid or not. It just means I so, um I, I have a hard time understanding the value of something just predicated on scarcity or the fact of how hard it is to create it, not to, not to, not to, not to say that isn't valid or who cares what I think. I'm just saying for me on a day-to-day basis, I look when it comes to transactions, buying or selling or using something ease of transaction is going to outweigh, you know, anything more than that. And so, so in the future, when these transactions become easier to integrate and use, and it's all on one wallet, sure. I think, you'll start to see a bigger, bigger spike on that as well. But I think, yeah, well, anyway. I was going to say, well, uh, June is coming up and Apple is supposed to be announcing their hardware to, to AR VR, I believe. So we shall see and see, maybe that's, you know, maybe this will be the gen one of the iPod moment for, for Tim Cook. I think so. I mean, I, I remember I, I, 2007, I bought the first iPhone. I was, I was in Seattle and I lined up and I got the thing and I don't think it did anything, but I think it sent. I think it, I think it had a, 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 a Safari. It made phone calls. It sent texts and think it was email. There's yeah. certainly not, and that was it. You know, uh, maybe there was some notepads yeah. or something. But you know, the, yeah. the leap from that to what I was using before that, which was some like weird Windows with a stylus thing that barely had connectivity, was pretty. Uh, yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So let me ask, as as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur like yourself, um, someone who's been a leader. What do you find was the most critical skill set to that contributes to the success that you've had thus far? Oh man, um, I think well, there's a couple of things. One is I, I know you asked for one, so let me answer the question. Then I'll, if I have more time, I'll dive. But uh, communication—it's just—it's just being able to be mm-hmm. an, an effective communicator. An effective communicator means you have to listen to people. So yeah. uh, I think we are in this cult of personality. CEO entrepreneur worship thing going on where, Mm. you know, everyone can be an influencer. Everyone can stand in front of Lamborghinis and flash money and uh, have a LinkedIn profile. And the reality is it is so much work to build a company that is successful. Mm. And the CEO is absolutely important from a vision standpoint and the responsibility, but the people that are part of that team are integral to any success. So I think communication is important, but I think a team, like just a great team, you you know, it's, it's, you can't, you know, I, I just think it's like, it's, it's, it's nice and easy to a certain degree to put like Elon or, or, uh, you know, whoever up there on a pedestal to say this person or this person is, is the sole thing. And they do, they have a lot of power and a lot, but it's like, it's like, man, there's a thousand people there that are responsible for, all these things. And yeah. so uh, I think team, I think communication, and I think to be an effective leader, you better know how to do a lot of things. You can't manage someone if you don't know how to do their job. That's the reality. Sure. And so in my life, I produced content, I developed content, I've owned a small agency, I ran social media campaigns, I've built that, I've done all the things and none of them that well. 
Uh, I've done them poorly enough to realize I have to work with people that can do those things better than me and hire someone. But but at least I can manage them to a certain degree or at least know where they're coming from or understand the challenges or the, or sort of the, the, the things. And so I think that's the other thing is that there's this immediate need for immediate success or I need to be rich now, or I want to be successful today. And uh, Mm -hmm. you can't discount just going through ups and downs and doing the things and learning the things and, and, you know, and, and really sort of, um, anyway, so, so those are sort of, I would say my, my number one. And then, and, and it really all, honestly, it's, it's always timing. Timing's everything, uh, timing and luck, whatever you want to call it, luck or timing. If you time something the right time mm-hmm. and you have the right idea and you have the right team, it's, it's, it's like all the, all the boxes and the right funding and the right, everything has to be checked yeah. off perfectly to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, all right. I have one last question before we close out. Awesome. The question I have for you is in all of your professional years, even back when you were an intern, um, in, in the mailroom, I believe you mentioned, yeah. what was your most, what was your most memorable assignment? I think, you know, I'll go back to the mailroom because it was sort of, it's funny. Oh, really? uh, yeah, sure. Why not? The um, first one. My me- most memorable assignment was it was my first day and I was like, you know, and you're in a, you know, you know, I'll date myself. This is 2000. So 23 years ago. So it's uh, still in a very physical analog style world. And you just literally you, right. you just got it and you put stuff in the thing and you shuffled it and you hop, you know, you dropped off scripts and stuff. And so it's pretty overwhelming. And it was very, um, you know, it was very intimidating and it was this sort mm. of boil. I don't know if you remember boiler room or, uh, Wolf, yeah, of, sure. Wolf of wall street, but that was a cultivated mm-hmm. vibe back then. I mean, this is unfortunately back in the days of, you know, the heydays and the me too's and all this sort of ugliness that was going on behind the scenes. And that, that vibe mm. was pervasive. It was just, it was a very, it was purposefully intimidating. Uh, they saw, mm. I think they saw it back in the day when I say they, just the people in power structures as calling the week. Right. And it was also mm-hmm. how they were uh, brought into the ecosystem. But all that being said, I was going, I was delivering this stuff, and I remember going around the corner, and this poor assistant's getting screamed at and having pencils thrown at their oh, head and a very, very like over oh, the top, man. you know, stuff that would, you know, generate multiple lawsuits these days. And uh, I get to the thing, and I'm like, oh, God, is this what I've signed up for? And the agent in there is like, you know, motioning at me, come in here, and he sits me down and He's in the middle of running a phone call and screaming at his assistant. Basically, says, "I'm like, you know, what do you want?" He's like, "I need you to fix my lighter for me because it's broken and no one could fix it." So I'm like, you know, I'm like, "What is gonna, you know, what do I, you know?" It's like, because you asked for a cyber, right? So I'm like, "What am I supposed to do with this lighter? I don't, I don't know what." And and meanwhile, you know, uh, the person who ran the mailroom is freaking out because I I have a schedule, right? I have to be back down, and you know, I'm supposed to be making rounds, and and you got to make ten rounds in an hour or whatever. Where is he? And he's in this dude's office, and what's going on? So finally, come down and I say, "Look, man." I have to fix this lighter or this guy's going to scream at me. And he's like, you know, there's this weird thing. So if I was to fix it, but all I needed was a Flint. So I went down the street and I bought a Flint and I installed it and I brought it back to him and I fixed his lighter. But from that moment on, you know, it was kind of like, Oh, he's the dude that fixed so-and-so's lighter. And, uh, you know, and then from there I went on, I think I got on a desk. I think I got on my first desk within like six weeks, whereas like, you know, it could take, you know, wow. and I was on a, I was on a desk that was a track to be a junior, junior agent, meaning, you know, if there's a hundred people and there's a hundred people with a hundred assistants, some of them had two assistants, you know, you're only promoting a half a dozen people a year from an assistant to a junior agent. So anyway, that was kind of, it was fun. It was intimidating. It was sort of my first and also made real, I wanted nothing to do with being an agent. I, uh, I lasted nine <laughs> months and I was like, this is not, uh, this is not the ecosystem for me. 
Uh, so I, wow. uh, yeah. So yeah, th- that was my assignment, I guess. That sounds like a very memorable, yeah. <laughs> unforgettable yeah. Um, um, experience. And I guess the takeaway lesson here is if your boss needs a lighter, <laughs> learn how to fix yeah. the damn thing. It fix, yeah. Well, it's just, yeah, it's about anticipate. <laughs> it's anticipating needs, right? And trying to be ahead yeah, of time. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Josh, this was really wonderful. Um, I'm delighted to have you on our podcast today. Thank you, Abe. We dove a lot into media. Yeah. Um, I think um, I think our audience really learned a lot from this conversation. I'm excited that you were able to uh, afford us the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I hope it was uh, I hope it was memorable and and, uh, and entertaining. So thank you. Uh, listen, I'm going to keep using your uh, your your platform. I think thank it's you. fantastic. Thanks. And I'm really excited to to see Beam TV as well. Thanks. It's really exciting. Awesome, brother. Thank you, man. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.